This is the floating city in the sky, guys. This is actual footage, real footage taken, no BS. This is in slow motion. Look at the window in there. You can see the city. This is happening all over. Hello. Welcome to another podcast of Glean. I am Bus Blassum, online editor at Glean. And today I'm pleased to play a conversation I had with artist Emmanuel van der Aura about his new show at Harlan Levy Projects in Brussels, titled A Thousand Pictures of Nothing. Hello, uh, Emmanuel. Thanks for having me here in the gallery in Harlan Levy Projects. Um, this is your third show, if I'm not mistaken, in the gallery, Please. but probably the first show in this location. Is that correct? It is, yes. Because actually the location is uh, is quite big. Um, how did you go about making the show for this, uh, this space mm. here? Yeah, I mean, clearly it's a change of scales from uh, the former uh, space of the gallery. So, well, change of scales made, uh, you know, different strategy. So I guess my former work, uh, former exhibition, sorry, uh, at Alan Levy project usually focused on one single piece and I kind of prioritized, you know, uh, to put the viewer in a confrontation of one piece. Here, uh, I felt the need to be a little bit, uh, yeah, more diverse. So it's still, I mean, it's a show that focused strongly on two films, I guess. These are really the axis uh, of the of the exhibition. Um, and uh, yeah, you have to, to create situation that, uh, you know, that, that feel right in terms of, um, of scales in relation to this uh, impressive industrial space. But uh, yeah, so my strategy was to, to place a monumental piece that I developed last year in the middle of, at the center of the, the main exhibition space and to really offer it a b almost like a kind of weird spaceship that just landed there. Uh, I also decided, for example, to, to treat this space quite differently. It's a quite frontal space. So when you enter, you can see the entirety of it, a bit like a staged. But by placing this piece in the middle and leaving the back wall uh, alone, uh, kind of change the rules of the space. You you look at it differently. You apprehend it and move around uh, differently. So yeah, and then we when we enter, so the space itself. I think I read <laughs> online that it's uh, it's about 250 square meters, maybe in, in, in total in surface. But it's yeah. Yeah, downstairs, it's like one very large room, and when you enter, <coughs> it's an industrial uh, place. But you've put one of your works, a video sculpture, um, with the back to the entrance. So you start with the back of a piece. Yeah. Okay. So yes, absolutely. I mean, I think I think I wanted to to work a little bit against this, um, you know, the, the frontality uh, of the space that kind of give itself away, uh, you know, at the first glance and uh, the. Um, yeah, so uh, by, by placing the back of one of the monumental pieces, uh, it kind of, of course, acts as a, as a wall. Uh, entering by the back door is also something that I'm very interested in. I mean, my work, there is a lot to, uh, my work has a lot to do with exploring you know, the, the, the backstage or how things are being made or how they appear or the, you know, the secrecy of, uh, you know, who's the, the string being pulled. I mean, this is something even in the film that I do, there is always this question of uh, c 
keeping you not mesmerized on what's happening on the stage, but also critically engaged and informed about, uh, uh, you know, the, the technical uh, construction that what's happening on the stage also Yeah, uh, maybe we can rely unpack on. that a little uh, further by <coughs> looking at one of, the, um, one of the pieces. So you mentioned in the beginning there are two main uh, pieces. I, I guess that's the f a new um, uh, work in the series of video sculptures that you're you've been making for a, for a long time. Uh, one of them is Archons here in the, as the centerpiece. And then there is another video, a very brand new video in, in, a, in a backspace of the gallery. And then uh, the video sculpture that's th that I mentioned that sort mm. of confronting the viewer with, their, with, uh, with the back of the, <coughs> the piece um, mm. is a less narrative um, video. Maybe we can start with the the centerpiece, the archons. Yeah. First of all, archons. Um, what does that refer to? Yeah. So it's it's addressed in the film. Uh, so um, archon is uh, you know kind of evil entity in the Gnostic mythology uh, that control the simulacrum in which we would all be uh, submerged. In. So I mean, f uh, popular references like Matrix are using this. Uh, this type of, uh, you know, um, analogy or, or philosophy. So in the Gnostic belief, there is the idea that uh, human has been trapped in an illusion by a, a demiurge, so a god that is not necessarily uh, benevolent and is uh, kind of... Uh, um, sons are, we could say, they are kind of uh, uh, devils of some form. And these are the archon that trap us and create the master of the simulation. And of course, um, it's a it's an interesting. Uh, I, I took it almost as a as a metaphor, I guess, of the of the current state of uh, the automation of our life, of the the question that uh, you know the, the post truth era is uh, you know presenting to and confronting to us about the nature of the reality we experience, how we tackle with it, how we talked about it, or how where are the you know the, the shifting grounds, and obviously the AI technology that are fairly recent, which take over our language, uh, take over our uh, capacity to produce image or to be creative, um, are could be somehow addressed as, you know, archons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, AI plays a big role here in this exhibition. I guess, in general, your work and a lot of the video sculptures, for instance, that you've been making deal with perception and change the way we look at things or or mm, puts the act of looking at the work very central so mm. often you work with maybe filters or like mirroring uh, panels as you do here so the viewer becomes very i think that looking at your work becomes an activity in itself for me when i'm looking at your pieces mm. which makes me sort of become aware of the fact that there is there is a mediation going on i guess that maybe often has to do with mass media and the ubiquitous presence of media in our lives but now yeah you mentioned the automation the increasing automation of our lives and ai <coughs> uh, in relationship to also image making mm. um, can you say a little bit more of how AI um, entered the work in some entered way. Entered your practice, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot to say about it, but uh, 
clearly, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned mass media, and uh, of course, I think like uh, uh, my practice took uh, that particular turn, turn when I started to be really uh, like having a deeper uh, thinking, at least. <laughs> I had a deeper understanding of, uh, you know, the nature of social media and the, the the, the currency of what's going on in this uh, exchange, this new tool of communication, uh, how they affect the construction of identity, how they affect the perception of the world, how they are made not for you to be a passive receiver, but to be actually an active producer of an image of yourself, of content. Uh, it's a kind of a Ponzi scheme of content. They always need to get more, more contents. And you could ask what was the, the purpose of that content? because all these services are kind of free. So you could imagine it's just the, flu the flux, the more flux, the more, you know, vitality, the company, the higher the, the stock. There's but there was something else in it. It was also for the purpose of training AI. So actually it became a kind of giant laboratory for AI. So uh, the last 20 years had become um, a collective experiment into building the, the research material necessary to build these uh, Leviathan, these machine. So now we just give, we are being the given the key of it, but we are still not the master. <laughs> we, we can play with it, but it's something that of course has another finality than just creating a few images. And uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the possibility are endless, but they are eerie in essence. Um, and so we kind of collectively, we thought we were pretending to do this, where in fact we were really doing that. So it's also where I started to really engage with it because I felt, okay, this is just the jump from what I've been, you know, uh, interested in the last uh, decades. Uh, but suddenly, it, you know, it, if we are looking about, you know, mediation and how we look at things, suddenly the thing is looking back at us, you know, mm -hmm. you could almost see it that way, that and AI is projecting ersatz of what we collectively produce. It's kind of an endless uh, loop. And, and, uh, and in that sense, the genealogy of AI was already present in yeah. your work itself also. Yeah, it was, yeah, the DNA of that was there, but I just like needed to see it happening to understand the, the connection, the logic, the, the kind of finality where it was uh, going ultimately. I was already talking about, you know, this mirror image that we actually project ourselves in the machine, that we have this desire to automatize our activity, almost as if we want to take a step back, you know, being too tired of the history <laughs> and just, uh, you know, go to sleep. And too tired or lazy? Too, of course, it's two things. Sense of comfort. Are, uh, indeed. That's, um, so uh, we, we have slowly, you know, give away by, you know, it's, it was easier for algorithm to, to search for us the, the things that we are interested in to connect us and so many different things. And uh, when I'm talking about this, I'm, it's not, I'm not against these things. I'm making a, an, an, an analysis also of it. I think it's very important to be critical of it, just not, you know, sleepwalk into the abyss where suddenly you wake up and, uh, but anyway, there's no, ch there's no change to turn back time or to do anything else. We but are in a course where we're gonna have um, strong emotional response to to uh, to AI that will be, you know, better at emulating. You could say that now you are being pushed the the, the you know the sneakers that you <laughs> don't know you desire, but soon this machine will have read everything about you. Will know in an instant everything that you've ever clicked upon and things. 
but we'll have this such deep understanding of human psychology that they will be almost certain to, to trap you in an emotional connection that will be like a very, uh, like a very easy uh, entry point to manipulate your, your political, you know, perception, your, your sensitivity, the, the things that you buy or how you define yourself. So it's a, it's a quite dangerous territory to give that key to, to, uh, to machine, which in the end, they are just tools, of course. So there is, but, but yeah, you mentioned the abyss and, and the sort of the eerie aspect of, of these technologies. Um, and that there is a sense of comfort to them for for us in our daily lives <coughs> but there is a, an incredible sense of discomfort i feel also when looking at your work it's there it's it's, it's yeah it's monumental but there is also almost a kind of violence um, sometimes literally when we see for instance bombings or um, other things that are visual mm. representations of violence but there's also a violent way of treating the media, um, distorting imagery, um, and taking the centerpiece, uh, maybe it's good to describe it quickly. It's like, so you have four uh, black panels on the ground, and it's almost as if you're looking into a, a sort of a black hole, were it not for two very bright screens on two sides of the, of the square. Um, and by looking into the black panels on the ground, we can see what's on the screens because the screens are white and only through the technology you use, um, we can see an inversion of the image that's, uh, that's in the video. And the video itself seems to talk about AI. We see, for instance, there is this moment where we see uh, a drone shots with bombing and then we hear a voiceover, a female voiceover that's quite almost robotic-like, as if it's like very insensitive um, talking about immortality <laughs> or digital immortality. And it made me think about the immortal is like timeless. There is no, um, there is no boundary, but that, and that seems to go to the sort of a post-human um, questions, but mm. it also seems to point to maybe a loss of meaning or significance, a whole realm where something that gives meaning to human life, at least, which is the temporality of our lives, let's put it that way, I guess, mm. is, is gone in that piece. So I wonder how you, yeah, how you look at these developments, as you say, there is this sort of dual side to it, like there is maybe a positive side or a neutral side, they're just tools, but there is also the danger where it yeah, <coughs> steers humanity yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. in which direction we're going. Well, I think you, you really uh, very re well uh, describe at least the, the, the feeling that I try to embed in the piece, um, but, uh, and the eeriness, I mean, it's, 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 Maybe this is a kind of a broad painting it with a broad brush, but there is, to me, there is something very um, uh, funeral about the piece uh, because of this particular anecdote that, you know, the hypothesis that uh, in the future, the, 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 the amount of, of, uh, of social media presence or the digital presence that we, 
uh, that can be uh, harvested by an AI would enable our avatar to live beyond the physical uh, you know death of a person and that is almost i mean we never know if this is going to happen or it's just like a tool of to to hypothesize but it's uh, it's a quite an interesting uh, one that uh, and of course it's so the desire for immortality is as old as humanity itself and so it's quite possible to imagine that uh, we would be ready to to give away uh, you know to anything for uh, even an ersatz of immortality obviously it's not going to be right. us it's going to be a machine a gpt or some f other form acting upon us based on the many you know trail we left behind and that would enable our you know our, our, our cherished uh, stars or politician or our friends and loved one to still be around and still give us consolation and things like that it's a very perverse idea but also a very seducive at the same time and then i started to think about that and thinking okay uh, these these tools it's not so much that they are about death but they are anti-life <laughs> in the essence i mean we talk about intelligence uh, but it, it's not even intelligence it's nothing at all comparable to any experience of the living so it's uh, it's anti it's something else it's a, it's a non-life it's a non-being that seems to act about it a bit like, uh, and, uh, and, and in a way that little girl being, you know, animated by an AI is not different in nature as the drone that is taking the decision to, to laser and strike. So there's, these are the same tools, basically. They require the same type of, you know, recognition and sensory of their environment. So that's a bit what's going on with Archon. It's like we are shape-shifting, cruising through the lenses of uh, different iteration of um, of uh, the idea of uh, automation but going from i guess the, the external warfare that caused the life of, of kids as the the voice is kind of as you said like uh, coldly uh, summarized and that voice is by the way also an ai for uh, obviously i used i mean i tried to use as much uh, uh unnerving um, um, you know, di displacement in that piece by, I interview, for example, an imp a, a, a guy that, uh, the, the piece is actually very much focused on the, is based or inspired by a white paper made by a cybersecurity uh, specialist, Rick Ferguson, who live, <coughs> sorry, who live in uh, Poland and who uh, created in 2020 a white paper where he imagined what the world would be in 2030 uh, in a style a bit of a Kadek or anticipation style in order to, you know, um, anticipate the, how the world would look like and what would be the problem that the cybersecurity community would be confronted with if technology continue uh, in its current course. So imagine a, a very dystopian world where people has contact lenses, there's no physical, you know, smartphone, or, or you don't have access to the digital world anymore. You are uh, bathing in it. It's all around you. It's, there's no limits in this world. They are fused and you daily and uh, completely, uh, you know, and, uh, interact with, with avatar, with situation which are uh, only there in the digital realm and with people that might be real person, that might be copy of people you know, that might be people you daily work with, but they're actually doing something else. So they kind of outsource an AI doing the job for, of talking to you currently so you are really in this place 
where you're unsure of the nature of reality or the nature of humanity. And maybe that's also the, the unease uh, you know, that you were describing, that it's a bit you confronted with anti-life, basically, or this other being that is so, uh, yeah, so good at, uh, you know, at being you. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and it also makes me think about, in a lot of your work, you also bring to the fore probably the sort of the material presence of the installation of the technologies and media you use in a lot of the video sculptures. The viewing is done through, for instance, actual filters. So it's not just a screen we're looking at, but we're aware of the fact that we're looking at media. We're not seeing only the film, but also the screen. And there, for instance, in the, the video sculptures, there is obviously often a grid. It's the, the screens are, are made from out of like four screens mounted together, and the, the, the grid is very obviously present. So there's a sort of a, a fracturing of the image. But it also puts, for me, a sort of an emphasis on the fact that there are material, there is a material base mm. to not only the media, but also the technologies like AI and the future sort of digital endless realms that you're talking about, there is still, there are material remnants to them. And maybe that's sort of a, a segue into briefly talking about other pieces that you're showing here, which are a series called Memento, if I'm not mistaken, but maybe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and, it's and, a, and it's so uh, this is a series, at least the first time I saw them, they were, offset panels from a newspaper printing factory, something like this? Yeah, they are. Well, <coughs> it's funny because uh, when you were mentioning the, you know, the, the, the physicality or the, you know, the materiality or the process uh, of, uh, for example, bringing AI or digital world, I was uh, thinking immediately of what's going on in the, in the, in the other film. Uh, where it's quite literally a documentary about that, but I'm sure we're going to talk about it uh, yeah. after. But uh, yeah, to talk about the Memento series, um, it's definitely... Uh, so the Memento series, just mm. to... Uh, often there are like um, bluish kind of imagery. Yeah. And it's not often <coughs> always exactly clear what we're looking at, but you get a sort of uh, uh, an inverted um, image that to me looks like, yeah, the leftovers of printing technique yeah it's definitely uh, well what I do in that series uh, indeed I, I have um, an access to uh, to the factory of, uh, of a newspaper a Belgian newspaper so since 2016 I'm authorized I mean I'm, uh, I'm authorized to go there and to work with the you know the, the factory and the worker and to uh, this interest come I guess from uh, the moment where I discovered that there was a lot of analogy to be made with uh, between the, the way that the, the, the newspaper is being printed and uh, classic analogic development of photography. So they all, they both start <coughs> on, uh, on a life, uh, you know, light sensitive chemical. Uh, in one case, uh, photography is paper. Here it's an aluminum sheet uh, with a, a blue um, light sensitive chemical on it. So the color itself is, 
you know, is a is a basic and industrial component of the process that is desired. So basically, creating the plate in order then to create the newspaper. And the plates are usually just a mean to an end and goes to the to the trash. <coughs> but the, so the color itself, blue, has no uh, particular significance for the for this uh, the, the people who who create these. Uh, but uh, but the color is also incredibly uh, beautiful and profound. So that's I, I, I got stricken by the fact that uh, all the information that you know end up in a newspaper starts on this canva, so it become almost uh, like you were mentioning the whiteness of the of the the emission of the the video sculpture. That is basically a, an image is there and you know it, but this kind of uh, blinding uh, radiant field of light. Yeah, overexposure. Actually, mm -hmm. it's it's even different. It's this, uh, the, the something physical is lacking. The the filter mm -hmm. that will direct the color spectrum of light for your mind, uh, your brain to, to to recognize them, is not there. So that means the image is actually there, but you just cannot see it because uh, uh, the physics a filter is missing for your eyes to reconstruct the image. So they're kind and of in infra. Uh, well, they exist into a different state. Mm -hmm. It's a bit, uh, you know, like most of the images you see of the cosmos and things like that are just pictures that's being shown to you is where you don't see it like that. It doesn't exist like that. So in a way, the image is there, but your brain cannot take it. So, uh, and, and you need a filter, and that's a beautiful and powerful idea, I think, that uh, you need the mediation of that filter in order for, you know, everything that the image uh, imply and suggest and all the reaction uh, that will happen. But uh, it's a little bit like trying to guess what the world looks like in the eyes of a dog, you know, it will be something very different. So the image is there, you just cannot see it. And um, yeah, the, the, the blindness of this, I, I'm interested, or the cecity, the cecity of the visible is one of the paradox that interested me in the video sculpture. And that ties strongly that theory to the, to the memento theory, because somehow the the blue canva immediately recognize it as maybe the the, the nation the nation uh, space where image you know start to take shape so it's not like the absence of image it might be just like all of the image together in a kind of suprematist way of thinking like a, a kind of a highly compressed um, that become almost an infinite and blue is a, a color of the of the infinite for us so um, and then by manipulating this, I mean, I got the idea uh, quite uh, immediately when I, when I was at the factory that day to, uh, to question if there was a way, if it's like... How, how did you gain access in the beginning? I was actually doing a, a newspaper for the, for the Young Belgium Art Prize. Uh, so I was showing a film there and I wanted, I had a newspaper that I wanted stacked. So I, I was there to produce the newspaper. And then when I s started to look at the, the trash and the operation in that factory, uh, I got curious about this color and questioned, and um, yeah, and, and then that's why I immediately figure out it's very familiar. You have like a machine. We are in a control environment, so yellow light uh, that doesn't hurt and overexpose the plates. The laser is uh, inscripting these uh, these plates and harden the material, and then some chemical bars and brush doing the operation of kind of stripping out the rest of the of the plates so quite similar in terms of process and then i asked if there was a way to overexpose these plates and what would happen and some technician told me oh, if you do that uh, after a few seconds the image will be gone and i saw in the trash uh, an image that still lingered 
on the on the blue surface. It was actually Very I remember it was a picture of Trump. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like a, a small part of the, and it was an, an accident. So probably that plate got out of the machine, and some light of the sun hitted it, but just the right time for the plate to start to you know to be burned and become like remain blue even after the process but the image of Trump distinctly uh, stayed only on the surface and could be only seen so in some angle it felt like a you know a monochrome and on the other you could clearly see this image uh, like burned through you know only with light so quite a beautiful effect and I asked how was it possible and they told me well just not enough light to totally dis you know dissolve the image then of course I started to try to to target and emulate that effect uh, and it started really uh, this this line of process where I use this factory and turn around or manipulate the the, the automatization within it so I have like a, a series of rules that is quite important for me to stick to uh, for the for the coherence over over time in for the series uh, one is that uh, actually I broke that rules here <laughs> but so it's interesting to, to, to know why but uh, like that rule was that uh, I would use the first like iteration of the rule was that I would use only image that that particular newspaper sh uh, showed produced, produced. Mm -hmm. and so it helped to give like this sense of uh, uh, you know seriality and continuity in that uh, series for the early stage of the series so it was mainly connected to the aftermath of tragedy when that newspaper was showing you know large picture of grieving crowd for example and the grieving crowd and is a kind of portrait of, ne of in negative of the tragedy that you know people gather in the aftermath so i would say the aftermath of a tragedy is something that interests me the the you know the, the again the, the the representation in negative where we're going to you know look at somebody looking uh, and create this kind of uh, circle and loop of uh, empathy or of course something is lost there so we are always like gazer at somebody gazing and then it become a kind of voyeuristic game but I think that it's uh, a lot of uh, our um, yeah of, of the economy of, uh, of our social media is a lot, a lot to do about that so um, so the, the early stage of the series was about people uh, reacting to tragedy uh, when this newspaper was selecting that type of image and so five or six images were selected over the course of a year and a half and after that I started to bring a picture that uh, would still be newspaper picture or media heavily distributed you know picture but not necessarily the one that that particular newspaper published and this opened also for me the, the possibility of changing scales of uh, not staying with you know the the, the kind of one-on-one uh, 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 -on -one size of the newspaper but to go uh, further into uh, something that was already there on my mind when I started the series that uh, the vocabulary of uh, media in relation to tragedy was of course uh, highly uh, spectacular highly uh, informed by uh, classic composition historical painting uh, religious painting as it often the kind of uh, grieving young woman in the aftermath of tragedy that suddenly become pieta I mean there is so many beer that kind of seep through without us noticing but when you start to collect uh, and to to bring them into the series it starts to become a little bit unnerving because you you see these uh, at work and uh, and how uh, you know events are 
are being reframed. Um, so the historical painting connection interested me and starting to imagine to create historical painting uh, of contemporary nature in the context of, uh, you know, of automatized factory by transforming it f as a factory to produce art uh, is the, the, the essence of the series. Uh, uh, probably uh, in also informed by, I guess, uh, Warhol to some extent, uh, but I was not so aware of that uh, when I did it, but clearly I see a connection with, uh, you know, the, the Warhol that deals with uh, with horror, like the, yeah, the, the electrocution uh, cham chamber or the or the plane crash. And, and, and there's a sense of maybe maybe numbness or like insensitivity um, in the um, overabundance or like overexposure <laughs> in another sense of like seeing so many of the same similar images um, yeah, you mean in the in the series in particular well, or in like the in for in people looking at the same type of images that are trying or yeah at least maybe it's not even consciously but they're trying to convey these images trying to convey um, a sense of yeah tragedy or as you say like and well I mean I, I think that's one thing that I dis that kind of one element that is important in the, that kind of came from my uh, film, A Certain Amount of Clarity, was when I, hence the title, I suppose, when I started to uh, really realize that, you know, uh, horror uh, is uh, another form of entertainment. So uh, it is, um, there, there's not, entertainment doesn't need to trigger positive emotion. It just needs to trigger emotion. So maybe maybe that's, um, that's a good point to, uh, to talk briefly about um, the video sculpture that's at the entrance because you mentioned uh, which I guess is a coincidence that the first image you found um, on these plates in the printing factory was an image of Trump before he was uh, he, he was elected for president I guess. He was running for it yeah. He was running for it and um, and the piece you're showing downstairs at the entrance is January 6th and that's obviously a reference to Trump. And in the video sculpture, we see crowds of people, I suppose. But the images, I mean, the installation is composed of many small screens, and the screens are damaged. Uh, can you say something about this work? Sure. So the, the screens, um, I, would, I, would, I would call them shredded. Somehow, because it's really about, uh, it's not so much that the screen has been uh, rendered unfunctional or, right. or, or destroyed, but it's more like it, it has, because again... Yeah, there are kind of stripes or like, yeah, yeah it's all parts it, of the screen that are white, you cannot see anything, and then... This has to do with the way that LCD screen work, and that's at the base of, uh, you know, this uh, connection that I was describing within the white light, which would be like the kind of primal stage of an image in an LCD screen, and you as being a receiver, and there is a polarized filter that basically make the, the, the light wave uh, organize in such a way that it will tickle the, you know, the, the baton and the receptor in your eyes. So you need these slim sheets of filtering for everything to appear or the world turn blanks. And this, I, I, and of course, there is different strategy in different video sculpture. The video sculpture Archon is about the positioning of the viewer. Or, and uh, this piece is really more about, you know, the, the physicality of the, 
the, this, the operation of shredding this uh, screen render the image, uh, rendering the image unstable uh, by um, yeah, by taking the knife to the screen, kind of very violently, graphically, uh, almost like uh, automatic drawing. I'm shredding some bits of the image. You literally uh, took a knife. Yeah, that is the how it works, and you can see all the 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 the, the, the stigma uh, on the on the surface where the you know the cutter was hitting the the plates, and uh, so it's a, it's a kind of a violent act, in fact. Uh, and sometimes it has like more of a form of a you know a, a hygienical operation. But to me, at the essence of the series, there is always this very important gesture that I'm doing, which is like uh, piercing the, the filter with a knife and shredding, flaying the screen in some form. It has really this, uh, this uh, when I'm doing it, I really think of it that way. Uh, in the case of that piece, I think there is this uh, instability. I mean, there's many things to, to say and many angles of attack on why the January 6th, why the piece is standing in such a way. And uh, I also, uh, want to avoid of course giving like definite answer of why a sculpture has a form uh, that is this one and not another but it's clearly something that seems to uh, work uh, or build a connection to the idea of a retable of a, you know of a, uh, a historical painting once again but how would you do an historical painting today well i thought okay you you do it with with screens many screens that i of like part, uh, like a single screen of a personal computer that are brought together to create almost like a, a mass. So 30 screens uh, together that are organized together. They've been like shred, also taken out of their plastic cage. So suddenly you see and that hence the interest in showing the back where you can see uh, really the the DIY physicality of this machine that sometimes looks so ah, so well done, but when you look, uh, you know, at how it's done from the inside, you see that it's full of, of aluminium tape and things, and they, like a, a lot of mitigation of all the chaos. That you know, it, it really feels like more like, a, you know, USSR technology or some sort, or like spaceship. They look quite DIY, and they, there's an element of that uh, which I liked very much and wanted to emphasize. Uh, the, the light is also seeping through all the, you know, aluminium hope and hole and casing. So there's really something uh, instable and uh, brutalist into the gesture. And uh, at the same time, yeah, so it echoes quite nicely, I guess, uh, this uh, this population that suddenly rush into the capital that then we have to go into the territory of uh, how I, I, I perceive also this particular event, which is highly based on conspirational. Uh, I mean, it's clearly like Trump is one giant conspiration. His whole attempt of taking the capital was based on a conspirative assertion, and his crowd of followers are heavily uh, relying on uh, the QAnon uh, conspiracy. Also kind of DIY in a different way. Perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, fascinated by these, uh, you know, these, these modern myths, which, which are meme culture on the internet or the... the the, what we call, we used to call that fringe, but of course now it became mainstream. And I kind of always, since a long time, I, I kind of uh, postulated or thought that conspiracy was, it was a form of, you know, uh, uh, of process that were almost doomed to become mainstream. It, it had to, it had to generalize. Why? Because, um, well, because the, the, 
the formless nature of how information circulates brings people into a community. And these communities start to, be, to, to build their, you know, their own encapsulated and closed reality. So what they need, so somehow you have like several reality that are, I mean, that is the nature of the, of the game. We are not really interested into understanding what the, the facts are. We even, you know, mainstream news are about opinion. Uh, so it's about how we frame it according to our perception of the world. So the exact same situation will be seen in a certain way by the left, another way by the right. And so it's, it's not just, you know, the entitled to the alt-right uh, crowd. Huh? But um, I mean, we, we human needs to make sense of our environment. We have a world that is uh, basically a, a loop within a loop and a, an image within an image within an image. It's highly confusing. So I think it's, it's just a perfect, uh, just a perfect um, com context for people to start to create things that would um, have something to do with cult, I guess, because they kind of make their own reality. They cherry pick their reality and everything makes sense in their world. So it was kind of a question of uh, time uh, for, uh, I was not expecting something as mainstream as the president of the United States being a conspirationist. But I just feel that we are closer. Uh, we are actually all, uh, you know, doing that. You see an image, and once so, some one people will will perceive and understand it in such a way, and will immediately, you know, place it. And I guess that is the problem with our political conversation currently: is that it's really not possible for this world to touch or to engage with one another. They are just faux. They're like where one is winning, the other one is losing. It's a, it's a. It's a, they are destined to fight for the for being the only reality uh, left. Yeah. if you understand my uh, the way I'm uh, trying the point that I'm trying to make so yeah I, I, definitely and and it says something about the loss of predetermined um, uh, interpretations or meanings and um, what I'm curious about before we um, move on to um, the uh, the new film you you're presenting here um, it's just the, um, yeah, you mentioned the DIY aspect of that video sculpture um, and the cutting, the, 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 the violent act, and it's a, it's a very physical way of dealing with yeah, the media and the material mm. you're using in your work, because at the same time, I can imagine you spent a lot of time behind the screen editing, and so how do, how do these different modes of operating it within your artistic practice work for you? Well, it definitely feel good to bring a knife to the screen once in a while. <laughs> People should try that. Yeah. But uh, I'm kidding. But so um, let out the stress. Yeah, probably. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's also the practice. I mean, I go, I don't have a, a, a fix. Um, it's true that uh, in the last, uh, and especially the work that I'm presenting here had required me to be, you know, working on online and uh, and behind the computer for a, for an immense amount of time the next film that i'm pro like uh, projecting or conceptualizing right now will be a lot different it will be about uh, you know working with actors and uh, going on site so and actually sh shooting yeah of course uh, i mean I, I i've done several films uh, and, and i did a, a theater performance in uh, 2017 or so films that are on the line of uh, animation also uh, when I was at the Frenois. So, the, so my, my entry point, I guess, with video 
in my you know very like high school art school day and uh, and and the Frenois, which is already very long ago uh, i did it between two, two, 28 and uh, 2008 and uh, 2010 but i um i was really involved into animation for example so before going to you know things that imply more uh, digitalization do you and actually uh, do all the all the digital work yourself well, it depends which one we're talking about, because I, I somehow it's uh, before a certain amount of clarity, I was uh, working a lot in, uh, I mean, a certain amount of clarity was really the first film where I uh, just used material that I found online. And this kind of almost made a kind, you know, a breakdown of the practice in some way, because that film, I knew while I was doing it, was the best thing that I that I did so far. It was my, my first you know, mature it? work, yes. 2014, but I started in 2012. But I, I could feel that there was a difference in nature that has nothing to do with my skills, but that has a lot to do with my maturity or my, my capacity of understanding uh, what I was conveying and what, you know, uh, the, the proper distance. I mean, things that, we, that are the essence of, you know, documentary essays uh, from where are you speaking and how do you de deploy a kind of contract with yourself that is ethic ethical about uh, or, or the, the position that you take with objectivity subjectivity you know the, all these these kind of uh, no, classic question that uh, that that engaging with reality uh, when you do films or documentary films you you question but suddenly that film the, the the problem was really not about the image I was taking the image online the question was how to properly uh, um, make sense of of a situation that that I couldn't make sense initially. The situation was p kids looking at murder video and uh, measuring their amount of empathy while recording their emotional response and posting it online. Of course, now it feels unthinkable because we police the internet. Doesn't mean it's a better place. It was just a bit more wild west back then. So. What we do and in that's a curated, not so long ago. That's not so long ago. And what we do in a curated sort of way, uh, we, when we collectively picked upon number hurts or, or whatever other type of uh, hurt behavior, uh, was uh, you know, just channeled into this, uh, into this uh, YouTube uh, fringe uh, cultural phenomenon like suicide games or, or the, the reaction video that I'm talking about. So, of course, that's really where I understood that... Uh, Something was happening while I was in my studio uh, doing stuff, and uh, something that was a change of uh, of paradigm. Uh, I would have. I remember thinking at the time, okay, well, people sneaking and sneak peeking into the horror is something that always existed. But the main difference was they are pointing the camera at them. And that is very different. Uh, so that means that their their emotional response to it was the f the main thing. The the horror was the vessel for it to bounce back um, and and the, the narcissism uh, of, of of this camera pointed at them and what what does it mean basically for us is it something that we can find like sources in the in history or is it something new and it's really where i uh, started to get the you know so basically trying to be honest and be uh, but i understood something new was happening there and i kind of had a weird sense that i understood why they were doing it also so it's the well, film is why about do you think they they were doing this um i think t i mean at the time I'm, i i should reassess perhaps that now uh, like almost uh, you know uh, 14 uh, like 10 years later but 
at the time I thought that um, the, the, the scope, basically the instantality, it was really early days, I guess, of social media, but that was very uh, like new, the possibility of, uh, you know, uh, uh, measuring yourself to the, the, the immensity and the complexity and the instantaneity and the chaos of the world leave you shredded, leave you like, uh, basically it's like you crushed by the sublime of it. Sublime has always to, to, to do with horror because it just show you the measure that you truly are and then you are being washed away with the wind. So you negate it by the very, uh, you know, intensity and scale of it. So in some way, the only way to, to solve that problem is recording yourself, you know, like in measuring the, the impact, the, and, and also in a weird way, showing that you, that, that thing has a, yeah, you, you have a measure of scale. You can react, you can record your emotion. You had an emotion, you, and, and then you become like, then you try to measure your sincerity, your authenticity. And the weird way is that this is the death trap of social media. It's all about authenticity, right? Like, uh, it's all about and being authentic. Talk, and the more you talk about it, or the more you put it as a sort of a central feature of, of social media, the harder it becomes to... Yeah, to it's perfect. It's the double bind. Right. It's like the dog that is supposed to sit and stand at the same time. So, of course, you're supposed to create your identity <coughs> with the, the, I mean, like, like a pure professional seller. And at the same time, everything needs to to have a carefree authenticity, which is, of course, a double bind. It's impossible to achieve. Yeah. And it's a bit like the lie that the more people know that, you know, like in 1984, the more everybody know it's a lie, but act upon it and the more, uh, you know, power it, uh, it, it creates. So actually, you, you know it's a lie, but you play on it. So that means you are in the you are in the lie, you are a conspirator in some way. And I think that the whole social media is working on that type of uh, twisted logic. So I think <coughs> there was something quite honest and, and, and touching. It's not, the film was be beyond the morality of their action because I understood that there was also a desperate attempt there to show something impossible, that they feel something that is genuine, that is real. Uh, you know, that they exist and that that thing has a form of, and also there was the idea of the challenge also, which is, uh, I think, a lot of terrible story and count I mean, and, and tales. There's a sense of connection also. And, of course. And, you, and, 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 and chain mm. reaction in a yeah, way. And also, the, I think there was something of the, the uh, right of adulthood, you know, that always imply uh, violence. So tales were morbid because they kind of prepare the kids for the horror to come. And maybe this was just another modern day rite of passage ritual that was invented by the teens, for the teens, measuring the horror of, of the world in order to toughen up or to start to get the or first to start taste, understand start of understanding it themselves. In, yeah, because voilà. it's also this, as you mentioned, the turn of the point of view or perspective to the subjective act of looking instead of the, the object that's, yeah. look, that's being looked at. Yeah. Absolutely, um, but that's where the, 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 the trap was, is that by doing that, they enforce their narcissism and, uh, and they, they kind of you know, make them, and that they think that looking at an image of a murder is the same thing as looking at a murder itself, which, which is really violence for the privileged, uh, which is again uh, quite central, I think, in the, in the way that we consume image. Um, from social media to um, AI, perhaps. 
the new film you made uh, called White Clouds. Um, it's being shown, uh, it's been screened on, again, four screens mounted as one screen, so you have this uh, grid, it's quite large, and um, it's a sort of an investigation, almost documentary-like, of a mining site, a rare earth uh, mining site, and it starts with a sort of a Trump-like voice saying, the image you're seeing is real, it's really real, something like this, I think, like mm. trying to, um, well, I don't know, emphasize the audience listening to this voice um, that what we're seeing is actually real footage. Um, and the voice is trying to maybe, I don't know, trying to understand what he is seeing. You hear some clicking sounds, so it seems like he's skimming the internet and seeing different looking at different uh, uh, footage and different visual material of this mining site. And then we enter sort of an other type of imagery. Yeah, it's interesting that you make this association because actually he's, um, that's really the, the power of editing in some way. This guy is talking, uh, I mean, it's again, it's, it's a form of a acute conspiracy uh, online that, uh, uh, that in the clouds, some people recorded the form of ghost city, so the flying city in the cloud uh, has been documented into several places in the world. And to be honest, we don't know if somebody redacted uh, with CGI some footage and make it looks like, but it's quite unlikely. I mean, the most possible explanation is that it was a very rare meteorological phenomenon, Fata Morgana, but usually it happened uh, in the water and at sea. Um, but in certain specific circumstances, the, the skyline of a city can uh, suddenly appear above, and if clouds and, uh, happen to be around, it could give the feeling that there there's a shadowy, towering, ghost-like uh, skyscraper skyline uh, floating in the cloud. And these things uh, were filmed by amateurs, so you can see that people are definitely looking at something, and um, and it happened in in China mainly. So a few occurrences. You know, so it's actual footage. And it is actual a, footage. An actual event. It's actual events. The film starts with. Yes. So actually, the film, and that's where we 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 we're going, is the only real footage, if we want to say that, uh, if that makes sense, uh, is this uh, you know kind of conspirate American, not very uh, informed. <laughs> uh, American uh, guy uh, is uh, filming his screen, and just telling us about the fact that this floating city in the cloud are appearing a little bit everywhere uh, as if the, the fabric of our reality was starting to you know have wormhole it's, and it's kind of peak. like the ufos um yes yeah in indeed something happened there is something flying there and then you can uh, postulate anything but uh, of course he, he he go for the for the classic conspiracy that it might be uh, uh MK Ultra uh, Project Bluebirds uh, hologram, so so maybe things that are made by the government to control us, or maybe just straight up, uh, you know, international <laughs> intergalactic gates that open up to a vision of the future or something like that. I mean, I took it kind of literally. I was like, oh, that's interesting. There is city in the clouds, um, 
while we are ourselves living in the form of a city in the cloud also we are uploading in the cloud all the time so how, how do you stumble upon this imagery do you spend a lot of time online uh, in the cloud in a way or yeah i do i mean uh, clearly there is a lot of uh, source of inspiration uh, i'm really i mean uh, i'm i'm a bit in in that sense i work fairly like uh, you know in on the line of uh, documentaries that i'm uh, i i can stumble upon like I was describing this uh, social phenomena of the teenage uh, reacting, I, I stumbled upon a particular case uh, that, you know, point at something deeper that is the interesting thing with, uh, you know, culture uh, and French culture online is that it goes so fast and it's so bypassed as being nothing. So how do you keep um, up? Like where it's well, it's not, it's not so much. I mean, uh, actually, I'm regularly interested by things that just happened in 2015, so they are already relic, you know. I d it's not because they are not in the now that they are not significant. Uh, that would be a weird way to, <laughs> to look at... Uh, I kind of see it as a form of anthropology. That, that, that would be a um, weird way to look at the world, but at the same time, that seems to be sort of the, the almost the premise of a lot of media attention. Right? Like of if, course. If it's not happening now, it's no longer relevant. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it's because we are building things that we are erasing just behind us. So we, we don't even know how we, 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 we got there, basically. We, we don't look at the track of history. So but in it fact, also seems to point toward a sort of a loss of long-term memory. Indeed. Uh, and, and again, uh, spectacularization, uh, spectacularization of... Uh, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see how we... Indeed, there is red herring everywhere. So, uh, like today is this. Uh, I mean, right now it's. I mean, we don't want to give example, otherwise we can easily get lost because there is so much of them. But uh, so sometimes I. I mean, I. It's not that I'm. But some of them uh, of phenomenon I, uh, strike me as as uh, more significant than other. I mean, they they. It's just they are lost in the noise. They are they are they are negated at the moment where they start to appear. And uh, the, so things that I'm still like dealing with things that happened in 2014, uh, which I see almost on the light of now AI rising and things like that, they, they, they have a new significance. It's almost like a, an archaeology of what's happening now. You just look at the, the you know, the, the recent past. Kind of digital archaeology. Yeah, indeed. I think that, well, that's a term that's, that is definitely relevant to, to, to talk about uh, several things that I do. Uh, this notion of exploring the strata, and to uh, you know to say what would be uh, what could uh, in the digital archaeology looks like that ties nicely with something that uh, I mean I did a film which is quite classic uh, called Armageddon Valley where I went to Israel to investigate the, the strata of the, the Megiddo which is the place where Armageddon is supposed to happen according to Christianity, and there were there uh, some. Um, um, you know, uh, historian and uh, archaeologist, uh, Israeli archaeologist, a famous uh, archaeologist that was digging uh, there on site while I was filming there, and I had an interview with him, and we started to talk about um, about how uh, modern archaeology would look like. And he told me, "Well, you know, this type of site are not, not going to exist anymore." This is funny because we can you know, dig, and the more you dig, you are going into different century and see things, but our society is so good at cleaning away. When we basically uh, destroy a building, we erase it without leaving a single trace. But is so that really true? Because there, I mean, we're also living in times where we're constantly talking about the material mm, costs or the material impact of a lot of things we do 
on the earth. So there is like, there are whole... Yes, but uh, yeah, indeed. But what I meant is that my R RCT is not going to give the same type of ruin that the one that we can explore from 3000 BC because we we erase, I, I, I kind of see it almost like criminal, we erase our traces. Huh? We, we make things disappear and you can see it. I mean, I live in Brussels for, for, for more than 10 years and several places changed so dramatically that you could absolutely not imagine that it was like that uh, in, a, in the recent past. So maybe it was more on the line of, of this, obviously, that I was saying this. Obviously, we are leaving a giant trace <laughs> that, will, that will stay for a long time, which is global warming and uh, you know, the, the exhaustion of resources. But that's, that's almost... Uh, and that ties into the subject of the film, actually. Indeed, yes. Um, so, well, yes, indeed. But to come back to the, to the film, I guess the... The it's a rare earth uh, mining place, and rare earths are also used in a lot of technology that we're using, including probably a lot of technology that you've been using uh, to make the video that we're using now to um, to record to and record. to absolutely. So yes, uh, the um, well, the the, the 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 beginning of the project is when I uh, started to uh, like. I discovered this uh, that uh, in 2020, at least, 80% uh, of the rare earths uh, used in all the you know electronic industry. So basically, everything that has electronic in it, from nuclear weapon to smartphone, are um, uh, like this, that. 80% of that rare earth is originated from uh, Bayanobo mining districts, which is uh, quite a remote place in the Inner Mongolia, semi-autonomous region of China. And um, that place, so yeah, the fact that we are so tied, so intimately linked, that all of our, you know, hubris regarding technology and our desire to escape, you know, the, the gravity is somehow powered by a place, a single place on the planet that we will never be able to really visit, that we will never be able to, to know or to, to take a picture of because it's so secure. It's not that it's particularly secret, but you know how China is. There is a tight control and the monopoly of rare earths is one of the like important strategic assets of China, so they don't take this lightly. So I started to be interested in that place and that the fact that it was unreachable and that it was somehow a known place, a black dot in the map that was so connected uh, to, to all that we described. Um, and since I could not or never be able to go there and achieve anything, you know, creative there or film there. Uh, I started to imagine that uh, AI would be a, a perfect if, no, would be the only if imperfect vessel to carry uh, a documentary, a speculative documentary of the place. But let's talk about AI because as I mentioned, uh, the film starts with this, yeah, sort of screen images of this person looking online at real footage and then yeah we enter a sort of a different realm at first you think it's sort of also documentary footage but somehow strangely put through some software filter or something yeah. like, like some noise reduction you yeah. see some faces and they're very blurred very smooth out uh, smooth and, 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 and but then soon you realize there is something else happening you have these sort of well, not early AI, but current AI aberrations, uh, mm. visual aberrations. Yeah. Clearly, there, there are strange things happening to, for instance, we see some people digging with their hands, but the hands 
morph into something else and but still it's like hyper realistic almost mm. it is maybe you can say something about the application of ai or applying ai um, techniques technologies to researching um yeah something of a speculative nature as you say about an actual place that's at the same time yeah a non-site and also has some sort of relationship to what you mentioned earlier like the traces we do not leave or the erasure of traces in a way even though it's highly tied to the actual material presence of and the dependence on uh, on matter mm. at the same time the matter seems to disappear from our lives our or the technologies we're using um, so how does this relate to the AI technology well uh, there's again there's many way to I think there's many way to approach the um, the film and uh, you know the where it come from for me or why it makes sense to do it uh, Obviously, because uh, maybe it's good to mention that, that we see a lot of footage that looks like sort of documentary. Yes, AI, absolutely. So if then I there's a, a voiceover, different voiceover, uh, that seems to be a subject who is living there, and uh, it, it's quite depressing. At a, at a certain point, he mentions that the place is referred to as a cancer site or something, or mm. a cancer place. Um, and yeah, it, it seems to be a sort of a, a very depressive reflection or a meditation on living in this place, which is kind of, um, it appears to be a sort of impossibility or like a paradox because it's also a non-site. Mm. Yeah, so, well, this, this is, there's a lot to unpack there actually, because we're talking about the, you know, the visual of the film, so, um, and, the, and the character and the, and the voiceover. Um, the illusion or the texture of the AI and also why uh, why it made sense for me to make the film with this technology to address this particular uh, topic. So that's uh, that's a lot of questions. Maybe, maybe we but start I can with, the, with the last. With like the last one, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I think there is the most evident, and you pointed it, uh, is uh, the, um, the fact that uh, I mean, I wanted to go back to the materiality of it, you know, to the source. So if we are living in that city in the cloud, I mean, there must be somewhere the power engine, you know, the, 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 the physicality. It's, it's funny, after spending so many uh, film dealing really with this, uh, you know, uh, disappearance, uh, suddenly I felt I need to go to the, to the rocks. I mean, there is an illusion there, and the illusion is that it's seamless, that it's uh, formless, that it, it doesn't have consequences. And maybe that was something that was already addressed in the video sculpture or in the different strategy that emphasized the physicality of the operation uh, to show, well, it's not an illusion that comes from nowhere. There is all these things that are creating that illusion. So in a way, I recognize this. But of course, the, 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 the sheer rawness of the place, at least the way that I imagine it, but also by the few pictures that I, that I saw online, um, it's very difficult to connect with, you know, our, our, uh, you know, our smartphones, uh, the conversation that we have within the conversation, within the bubble, with the conversation, the X of Elon Musk and all that, the Tesla model car, our problem about uh, dealing with uh, renewable energy. Well, renewable energy needs the, the rocks there, needs radiative radiation and, and cyanure and things that 
to, to blast and put into the, the water. Uh, so, so you need basically rare earth is not rare, but it's incredibly polluting to uh, refine. So nobody wants to refine it. And China said, well, I can refine it for you and became basically uh, the monopole for this strategic resource. So we are tied to this uh, you know, uh, terrible operation in this faraway country, and we, we really don't want to look at it too much. So somehow taking the AI, which is the latest uh, you know, iteration of this uh, hubris uh, of digitalization à outrance, um, and, and apply with all it, we talk a lot about BI also with AI, and I, I was interested of you know the, the filtering nature that it would have on that. It's an imperfect vessel, it's an imperfect tool, but it's a tool. Like a camera is a tool. There is also limitation in the. So, it's still a valid tool to approach the form of a documentary. So, hence, the. And also, I think that a lot of people will will use these things for surrealism. Uh, you know, because of all the crazy things that they can do, uh, imaginarium. Well, I think that the confrontation with reality was uh, a lot more uh, exciting to me. So That's how it would show the reality that I cannot approach is, a, is an interesting already double bind paradox that is uh, interesting. So a point to make, going back to the source where the rocks are being physically extracted to build the kind of digital world and using that latest and extremely powerful iteration of image generative model to uh, to achieve it that was really one the first idea and then i realized there was a second uh, layer i think which i found quite exciting um, to 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 think a bit more now that the film is over it's uh, uh, that uh, the ai is basically also working like a kind of excavation so in order to to train a model you need to break down like rocks um, image text and strip, bring them almost to a, an atomic level, a few a powder of a few points. And then all these points are distributed in something that is called the latent space, which is the place where the AI is actually finding references and connection in order to create text and uh, through the prediction. So we tend to imagine AI as uh, you know looking at the big bank of image and kind of making cutting and collage. It doesn't do that at all it already kind of reduced everything into a form of a landscape. And then he, he, you, you, you do an excavation of the dust and the layer of dust of all these images and all these texts. So in a way, I think that using a mind as, a, as a, the central subject is also suddenly uh, making almost like a kind of meta-film commentary about the film being uh, you know, extracted as well from the AI. And you can still, still see the AIs working and modifying the scene as they happen, hence the, the aberration that you were describing. It's because it's unsure of its result, it's shape shifting because it's... So you, you see the process uh, as it's being uh, performed by the machine. And I think this is uh, quite an interesting, uh, more metaphor, uh, like a, a, a more deeper thought that can be brought to the film. And how do I work more concretely? I could describe, of course, my, my methodology because the the... Also working, I was interested in working with these tools because when you work with them, you get to know them. Uh, and lots of people are saying a lot of things with AI and thinking that they are kind of human or, or, or a new form of life. I mean, you hear so many uh, bizarre stuff like that. Uh, that's obviously people who don't uh, engage with, with uh, who don't, don't work with, with, with the AI. 
to just I have a very different experience. It's really like a, it's a it's like a, a big calculator. You 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 produce an equation, and it's always it's a mathematic equation. Even if you say uh, I want a sunshine and I want like show me a, a kid, it's transcoded as an equation, and from this equation, uh, from the, the the base of knowledge, which is mathematical, uh, the AI will create a possible outcome, a possible you know, resolution of that equation, but there is an infinite of resolution. Uh, they will all be valid. Um, so it's just one possibility. It's one absurd possibility for one absurd question because the machine just sees it as an absurdity. It doesn't understand that we're talking about love or about hate. and uh, So that's, uh, it's totally, uh, it's not even stupid. It's beyond that. It's just like non-thinking. These things are totally meaningless. So you are engaged with something that transcodes what you think has meaning into something that is meaningless and then kind of show you back a possible answer that is based on the meaningless accumulation of meaningless things that made sense for people. Uh, there's some weird things like that. And then you, and an image comes back and that image is a portrait, kind of po collective portrait of, of of what is a big example, like an interesting uh, example of that is not for the film itself, but before that film, I was, before I found this uh, subject of, of, of China and, uh, and the Bayanobo mine, I was using the, the AI uh, still uh, text to image to try to explore um, the, the image of and create hyper-realistic image of grieving crowd in the aftermath of shooting, uh, US shooting. And I soon discovered that, you know, with one single equation, uh, I was able to produce a million of these images and they were all valid, they were all hyper-real. They were all bringing something to the table, uh, like a light and the, the dynamic of light, the variability in it, it was just insane, I couldn't comprehend. And I started to realize that I'm, I'm creating more image that there was shooting. So there's a, it's, we, it's, you, you see what I mean? It goes beyond the documentary aspect of it. Or the, and it's and and these images in all their variation, they they all has the same uh, equality to it because they are all valid representation of the holistic you know uh, definition of what would be the final definition of what would be uh, the the grieving of a crowd in the in the aftermath of a shooting, which is an invention. It is something that we framed already before uh, in the so somehow it's, it shows sure. us the the. The final, you know, almost like inhuman perception of what we've recognized as such. But then there is an interesting aspect of the, the 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 visual aberrations that are quite like, yeah, conspicuously present in the work. Mm. And I guess it's a sort of an opportunity, like this moment in time where we still have these aberrations, is quite an opportunity to work with AI. I guess because I can imagine, um, you know, not so long from now there will be a moment where these um, yeah, they will the become distortion of real. the image is also directing us to be aware that it's an approximate answer to the question posed. But as soon as it becomes hi really hyper-real, actually hyper-real, that we can no longer make a distinction between the image and what is, uh, yeah, quote-unquote, documentary footage, mm. they can become something else than just a possibility right like then it becomes a possibility for um 
for sort of backing up truth claims in a way. And that's, yeah. that's something different, I guess. It's definitely pointing at that. I mean, and clearly my interest in, in, in engaging with it is in to put in the context of, of course, disinformation campaign, I mean, yeah. crisis of reality, the possibility to, to create fake, f you know, fake narrative and to, to engage and to manipulate, uh, you know, human mind. And as, as you mentioned, that's the power of editing because you contrast it with the, the actual footage in the beginning of the film but with a voiceover that's trying to remind us that it's actual footage mm. uh, that we're looking at. But there is a contrast because, at least for me, I was, I was doubtful, I was skeptical when I, when I was watching that part of the film because the voice, I was reminiscent of this Trump-like figure mm. that's making a lot of, well, false claims in a way, right? Like there. Yeah. And, and so, at least for me, I was starting to doubt the imagery that we were seeing as well as well yeah. so this is also a sort of a different effect uh, it's definitely blurring the line and and as you said this the, the film is not giving you the perfect or immediate satisfaction uh, to to say okay i'm looking at ai footage it might as well be real footage uh, that has been altered digitally uh, in fact everything in the film is a creation based on text that i created and then from this text creating still image and from this still image being able to recreate text and image in order to produce the video so every it's all really animation film it's made with bits of um, i control somehow everything so that's also interesting when we think of ai it's controlling us but in fact in that film i work with the with and against the ai but i end up being the one in charge to to create that environment and to to distillate these uh, you know these these doubts for example i don't know if you have the feeling of uh, that that uh, narrator who's talking about all this nightmarish vision is a genuine person well i mean in the context of the film in the context of the ai imagery i would guess that it's not but mm. at the same time i don't know like it, it, it voila yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's right a, it's, it's an ai yeah it's a, so it's a, it's yeah. a Chinese voice that can speak uh, in a, you know, native Chinese, but also in English with a strong Chinese accent, which is very, very real yeah. and believable. And there is emotion and emphasis, and it's quite striking. Uh, but the content of what he's talking about, and uh, you mentioned like some very depressing bits, um, is uh, mainly uh, of a documentary nature. So I... And this is also something, and I, we, we could discuss about it also, how I want things to still be grounded in, uh, you know, in, in context. For example, there is something I couldn't really do is give myself the liberty of writing what somebody uh, who's living there is feeling. That is a no-go zone for me. There's so something exploitative. How did you go about the, the, the voiceover? Well, that's, that's what I was addressing, is that the I... To be honest, I was quite stuck in the film at a level where I couldn't go further because I couldn't, re, uh, you know, uh, bring myself to to uh, to write it from the ground up, to build a fictional character. I mean, it just felt not right and even, uh, you know, uh, ethically problematic. Um, so because I don't have the experience, I mean, I can just fantasize, but there's, it's something to fantasize the context in the image but it's another to start to really write what people feel um, 
And then I was looking for inspiration in uh, Douyin, which is the, the, the Chinese TikTok. So the, the Chinese TikTok has been one source of uh, inspiration in the film. And um, I was looking for, you know, minor, if somebody could give his experience or something. I'm not engaging with people. I'm just looking at what they, they post. And um, I found, uh, like, by mistake, uh, by accident, when I stopped thinking that I would be able to find somebody like that, a guy who just posted uh, plenty, who was, I mean, I don't know where his exact location. He just said that he's in Inner Mongolia, which is where mainly all the, the rare uh, is, is uh, excavated, but coil is also excavated. Um, and he's uh, just showing bits. He has like plenty, plenty of video, and it's 20, 30 second clips of him working without saying anything. You don't see really his face. And the only thing uh, that gave a sense of uh, his experience was the title he gave to this video. The title was really harrowing every time. It was in Chinese, but when I translated it, was uh, things like, uh, this is how I accepted my own mediocrity, you know, uh, and things like that, uh, of that nature. So it was almost like things that you write uh, for yourself, you know, and then scrap it with in, in horror. <laughs> but <laughs> it's of. that sharing. But it's that sharing, yeah, indeed. And, uh, and suddenly I, I, I discover, I mean, I, I downloaded all this, I copied all this title and, and, and that's the bits that serve to do this documentary. So in fact, I, this is very important to me that it's still grounded in this reality. At the end, there is a, a you know, a, a black text that is, uh, you know, reminding the audience that the voiceover is heavily inspired by the doing post of an unknown worker. Um, and I still uh, took some liberty uh, with it as well. I mean, some some of the thing he say is not directly this title. It's some things that people placed in the comments section of his video and just talking more about the place and things like that. So that so it's um, actually <coughs> in the in the in the text or in the narration, <coughs> there is a sort of a conversation going on. Indeed, in reactions to the titles. And yes, but uh, it, interestingly enough, uh, like it's funny because. And I, of course, my experience is very minimal with uh, Chinese uh, social media. It's only basically going in doing and working with this on that film. But I was surprised that uh, it is so well-mannered. <laughs> it is so, so well-mannered compared to ours. And of course, it's, uh, there's a di different level of control. And maybe we didn't touch upon that, but obviously the fact of doing an, an AI film with the subject being China, uh, has something to do also with Chinese politics and uh, the, the temptation. I mean, China is obviously a, a large experiment for social control using all the latest tools available with nothing of the boundary that we like to think that we have. Um, but in fact, but we have done maybe not, so not, so, not so much. Yes, indeed. But they are kind of ahead of the curve. Um, so in that sense, it's also very interesting to look at that sort of technology and, and that kind of social media in doing a s maybe quote-unquote speculative documentary mm. about a site, yeah, Absolutely. which is telling something about the possibilities, let's put it that way, of our use of social media and, and those kind of technologies. Yeah, I mean, if you know that there is a big eye looking uh, in your back, uh, you, you behave very well, you know. So people are not confrontational. Uh, they don't shout at each other. But you can sometimes feel a, a very like unveiled threat. Anyway, this is something different. But uh, clearly, uh, the film is uh, distributing 
uh, also this sense that this place is under surveillance, even through the, the emphasis of you know this HQ where people are looking at screens and uh, the camera that seems to be on roll at the end, like moving around in the city, uh, almost an absurd view, but it's. It's the take of the AI on a fixed image of a, a camera on a pole, and the, the, the AI thought it was a good idea to kind of make it roll, which and I, I of course embraced all the possibility. With once you work with something like that, it's not to have full control. It's also to uh, to create things or the condition for things in which you just like you pointed at. Perhaps one of my favorite scene uh, is these hands that seems to be turned into rocks. And that yeah, comes that's really from beautiful. Yeah, and horrible at the same time. Yeah, but exactly. uh, it's uh, it's the, yeah, the but there you get back to the sort of what you mentioned. The sublime the is always sublime. a sort of confluence between yeah. the beautiful and and the horrible. Yeah, and uh, well, this came from an accident of a misinterpretation of the AI that where I made a perfectly valid equation asked to describe the hands of people as they dig into the earth. These people are quite poor. Their hands are a bit dirty of the of the water and uh, you know and glaze, and the AI uh, thought it was a good idea to turn them physically into what they were extracting, uh, which is quite impressive. Uh, already as a thought, very. It's also yeah, uh, sort of an intellectual prompt that it gives you. Yeah, it's yeah. just the the way that the 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 wording of the the sentence when you prompt is fundamental because if you bring a little bit too 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 much at the beginning, the notion that there is hands and that they are covered in glaze or in, uh, in, you know, in mud and that they are extracting mud, uh, it's easy for the AI to try to, to understand that th the equation is really about making people out of mud, and, uh, which is really uh, impressive to, to build image that uh, I was not expecting. And then I was, it, it was all about you know, the, the level of uncanniness and monstrosity because I left a lot of things out. There were things that are obviously, as I said, it has no understanding of what it's doing. So it can be absolutely monstrous in its treatment and degradation of the human body, to say the least. So if you leave them without, um, without, uh, it's interesting. That's a point that uh, one of a futurologist or an AI expert made that we should make them with no felt safe, uh, just for people to understand what what's at stake, because. It, it has no it has no ethic it has no limits we'll do the most horrible sexual stuff or things that are defying imagination you know and i'm afraid actually i believe i'm pretty certain of it that in the future a new form of extreme entertainment will arise from that uh, this is very interesting because this reminds me of a scene in the film where we see a kind of advertisement with a sort of an epic soundtrack uh, in the back running and at the same time it seems to sort of advertise a total empty promise and while watching the film I was it made me think about the title of the exhibition which we actually haven't addressed but maybe that's a nice way to round up uh, the conversation the title is A Thousand Pictures of Nothing and obviously nothing could be interpreted in many ways and maybe it's referring to the the, the site of this new film, but it also seems to potentially um, point to an empty promise. Um, what is the promise of AI? Is AI then an empty promise? Because you've talked about it a lot as, as a sort of an incredible tool also at the same time you see 
and and you say that you see there is a there is a there is a threat or a danger uh, to it. No, but uh, I, I would say I mean I, I don't. It's difficult for me to 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 really round them and an explanation about the, that title. But I would say perhaps that if you try to look, if we could look into the eyes of the AI, you would see nothing, and that AI is we talk about AI as if it was something else but it's a, it's a, it's a mirror in negative it's uh, us, of our actually. of us mm -hmm. so there's something a lot more discomforting in that thought than to try to to make it as an external threat uh, if you see what i mean so in a way i, I think it uh, it's it's it echo a, a lot of the existential dread that uh, that is uh, you know a foreboding atmosphere you were talking about, you know, a kind of very funeral or, or post-life, or you had a very fine way to put it earlier regarding the, the piece Archon. And I think this is just, we are circling around the black hole, basically, and uh, the piece are a little bit like different satellites that kind of, uh, in negative, again, tends to make you sneak peek into something that maybe shouldn't be too much named, because that would spoil the, the discovery. But uh, again, it has something to do perhaps with the sublime, I think, which is something that an aesthetical sentiment that is based more on dread than, uh, you know, the harmony and uh, the pleasure of, uh, of beauty. Uh, and that mainly, uh, you know, uh, present itself in the form of fragments because you cannot really touch upon the totality. Um, so I think this is just another way to say it. And I wanted to say that um, it was initially the title of the, 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 the video, the AI video, uh, at the very early stage. But then I found this uh, beautiful uh, error, which I decided to go for. So the film is, uh, as you mentioned, called White Noise, and uh, sorry, White Cloud. Uh, and obviously it has something to do, the, 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 the image of the cloud is central. It's in the yeah. conspiracy of the guy. And it's it seems that there is cloud in every uh, scene the ai is putting always winds yeah it's, it's, dust. it's always very sort of um atmospheric the imagery and sort of yeah, and when know. they explode they mm -hmm. made this explosion in the yeah. open pit mine it almost feel as if they were trying to launch a cloud like a spaceship i mean there is this really this image uh everywhere in the film and it was really the the, the main motive for me um and uh, and at some point I was like uh, translating a statement from people in uh, Duin, uh, and one was just saying I've been living in uh, in Bautu all my life. Bautu being the main big city next to Bayanobo mining district. I mean uh, it is in the Bayanobo mining district, but Bayanobo itself is not a city per se. It's just a piece of a larger uh, administrative uh, zone and the, the, the center is Bautu. And when I put it into people to understand uh, what the meaning was in English of this sentence, it turned out to be, uh, I've lived in white cloud all my life. And white cloud is the literal translation of Bautu. Uh, Fascinating. Yes, so that's a moment where you kind of uh, shiver. But uh, immediately I thought I, uh, I found uh, you know, the proper title of the film. I can imagine. Maybe that's a good point to end even though no. um, there's a lot more to unpack but maybe that's a that's a good promise to uh, to have another talk in the, in the future with pleasure thank you Emmanuel thank you thank you I'm so used to the underground life I can't fit in the outside life <laughs>
This was Emmanuel von der Aura. The show, A Thousand Pictures of Nothing, is still on view at Harlan Levy in Brussels until the 16th of December. Glean is a Brussels-based contemporary art magazine. If you want to find out more, go to our website www.glean.art.